open up God's Word and read from it. Um, I just want to give a little perspective of that song that we just sang, You're a Good, Good Father, That's Who You Are, That's Who You Are. I am loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's our confession this morning. But I want to put that in a biblical context for when we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's who I am also. And in spite of that, I am loved. And that's why he's a good father. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's who I am, and that's who God is. Um, let's never forget that. Open to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read the entire chapter, and we'll see this morning the biblical precedent set by the people who stood when the book of the Torah was opened. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Notice it was the people who initiated this. They called to Ezra the scribe. The purpose was to bring the book of the law of Moses, describe that book, which the Lord had commanded Israel. As a result, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women. And who were they? They were all who could hear I want you to underscore in your mind how many times we see the word understanding. Those who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. We'll pick up that as we go through the passage. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, six hours, before the men and women and those who could understand. That's our second reference and in the ears of all the people who were literally, who were toward unto the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. What about that platform? It was made for this purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Maasiah, and at his left hand, Padiah, Mishalah, Malchijah, Hashum. By the way, this is why I'm not preaching out of chapter 7 this morning. <laughs> and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The word faces in Hebrew is af, which literally means their noses to the ground, humbling themselves. And Joshua and Benai and Sherbai and Jamin and Akbud and Shevetethai, and Hodadijah, and Messiah, and Kelitiah, and Azariah, and Jazavad, and Hanan, Peliel, and the Levites helped the people, here's the third, to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped the people to understand. The fourth reference to the reading. And Nehemiah, who's the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and all the Levites taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. 
Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom have nothing that is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And when the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoiced greatly, here's why, the fifth reference, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the nation, heads of the fathers, the houses, the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered together to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the fifth reference to the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which is the Lord had commanded Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go out into the mountain, bring olive branches, branches from oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and the branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And the people went out and brought them, and they made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, on the courtyards in the court of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. And the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so, and they were very, and there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner that they found written in the law. They didn't do anything deviating from what God had written. Father, this morning, it is significant that the word understanding was repeated five times in this chapter. God, we cannot respond to what we do not understand. And God, it is your will that we take your word week by week at North Valley Bible Church, that we opened it, that we reverence it, that we make a special priority to the preaching of the word so that we might understand it, so that, God, we might live it. I pray today, God, that we don't go through the motions. God, that we don't pay lip service to you, but God, may our hearts be near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a couple quick announcements. Um, Men, if we could have several of us hang out afterwards just to get this section over here prepared for our ladies' Bible study Tuesday evening. So if we could have tables brought in and the chairs arranged um, for our ladies' study. So men, just hang out, and we'll get that done. Now, since I'm teaching on the importance of expository preaching, it's probably good that I just sort of give a, a short definition of expository preaching, and it really is simple. It is um, verse by verse, looking at the historical context, the laws of grammar, and then making application to our current situation. And because that's what we're doing through the book of Nehemiah, I don't want to simply skip chapter 7. There is just a long list of names and numbers. However, there are some significant things that I want to just point out before we go to chapter 8. The work had been finished on the wall, and yet that wasn't enough. Nehemiah wants to bring civil order to this nation. It has been, been without it for over 150 years. And he also wants to bring religious renewal, spiritual revival. And without the genealogy, neither one of those things were possible. And so I just want to 
point out this morning that that God wants us to complete the task. And sometimes when you've run the race, the hardest part is just tying up the loose ends. And if we fail to do that, we fail to capitalize on all that God is doing. Now, let's bring some application to that. Well, God is bringing together people at North Valley Bible Church for a reason. And we've got to capitalize on it. We've got to look at our strengths and we've got to organize ourselves and say, how can we now get involved in active ministry? And so tonight we're going to come to our house and we're just going to sort of brainstorm. But when Paul wrote the Colossians, he finished this little letter and he said to a man, Archippus, he said, Archippus, take heed to your ministry, which you have received in the Lord that you fulfill it. And God wants us to fulfill. He wants us to complete the task. The wall is not just about finishing a wall. It's not just about us getting together here and congregating. That's not what God is about. He wants us to restore our civil responsibilities in our community, to reach out to northern Utah, and to revive spiritual renewal in, in, in our community. And so Nehemiah knew that he had to issue a genealogy to do this. There would be no civil order without the genealogy. You see, in Hebrew law, the land was given and invested as an inheritance to every family. The land literally belongs to the Lord, and he is loaning it to his people to use for his glory. We belong to Christ. We are on loan to our community. We are bought with a price. We are not our own, and we are to glorify God with our body and with our spirits, which are his. And Nehemiah knew that, that this land was not theirs. It belonged to God. And for these cities and villages to be repopulated, it had to have a genealogical list to say, this is where your inheritance lies, and this is where you go back. You go back to this area. The second thing that he needed to do, he needed to restore the priestly service for right worship of God. There is a way to worship God that's incorrect, and there's a way to worship God that is correct. And Nehemiah said, if we're going to renew spiritual revival, we are going to do it according to what God has decreed. And only a Levite was allowed in the temple and the Levites were the ones who read the law and who explained the law. And so chapter 8, that beautiful chapter that we just read, where the people had understanding, it was because the Levites then took it and gave the sense and gave an expository teaching so that the people could apply it. And Nehemiah knew that. So if you'll look at Nehemiah chapter 7, you'll see in verse 5, that my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And then we've got this entire long list of names that we're not going to attempt to read. But I want to just point out to you the importance of the priestly office. In chapter 7, 63 and 64, it says, And the priests, the sons of Haviah, the son of Kaz, the son of Barzillai." who took a wife of the daughters of Berezilah, the Gileadite, and was called by their names. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found, therefore, that they, but it was not found. What happened then? Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. It was important that the right men, the right women be in these places. And... It was a precedent that was preparing us for the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us, speaking of the high priest's office, he says, No man takes this honor unto himself, 
But he who is called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was said of him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, after the order of Melchizedek, you are a priest forever. So this was a preparation for the coming of the Christ. So now let's just jump into chapter 8. And I want to just talk about the, the priority and the, 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 the spiritual discipline of digging into the Word of God. Expository preaching, it takes discipline. First of all, we need to understand the historical context. If we're going to make right application, we need to understand this morning that the book of Nehemiah was written in 444, 445 B.C., that it's a post-exile book, that these people had been taken captive, that now they are back in their land again after 150 years of destruction. The walls were in shambles. The people were discouraged. This illuminates the text for us this morning. It helps us to understand who these people were and why they were assembling. We need to know the historical background. What's the importance that they assembled together in the open square in the front of the water gate on the, on the seventh month? What's the, what's the significance of that? They read from the, from the book of the law from morning until evening. What, what's the significance of that? And so expository teaching, you look at the historical context, you look at culture, you look at language. And most importantly, you ask yourself, what was the author's original intent? What did the author mean? Because the Bible has only one meaning, and that is the inspired author's meaning. The Bible is not a book that we sit around and we pool our ignorance, and we say, what does that verse mean to you? Well, what does that verse mean to you? That's about the worst thing you can do. Because it doesn't matter what it means to me. It matters what God meant through the original author and what the original audience heard. Because that is the meaning. Now, I'm not saying there's a many, many applications. There's a lot of applications. But there is an inspired meaning to God's word. And we can't change that. It's not up to us to decide that. The scripture is not a private interpretation. 1 Peter chapter 1. But it also takes discipline on the part of a listener because it's not designed to entertain. We're not going to come in here this morning with stories of self-help and how your ego is to be padded and how God wants you to be prosperous, God wants you to be healthy, healed, and all of that garbage Expository preaching goes verse by verse. It does not make you feel good, and it doesn't scratch a particular felt need. However, it is the biblical teaching that yields only that yields eternal results because it addresses God's people from God's vantage point. It de-emphasizes man's selfishness and his inclinations to serve himself. And it places emphasis on growing deep in what God has revealed to us. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the people themselves recognized with the completion of the wall, Israel, I want you to get this, Israel as God's people could easily slip back into their old ways. In fact, through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see that they began to do that so quickly Moses comes down from the mountain after this incredible deliverance from Egypt. And what are the people doing? They are going right back into pagan worship and making themselves altars and bowing down to a calf. They've just got this wall built. They are on a high. And when you are on a high, that's when you are the most vulnerable to attack. And they just finished this wall and they said, let's gather together and let's get into God's word. Neglect of reading the Torah would eventually cause them to grow cold. It would have caused them to be calloused. 
And in this chapter, we're going to examine three main points that focus on what biblical preaching, personal Bible study, and devotions should look like, and why it must be a priority for every Christian. doesn't mean that you have to attend North Valley Bible Church or join here, but you need to find a church that is committed to the inerrancy of all of God's Word, that interprets it literally from Genesis to Revelation, understanding figures of speeches, understanding prophetic utterances, but we take it as God intended it. So what are the three things that we're going to see in this chapter? One, there's a need to make God's Word a priority in your life. Two, There is a need, a deep need for correct biblical understanding of the text. But that is not an end in itself. A lot of Bible studies end right there. They understand it, they're growing, and their head knowledge abounds. Paul didn't emphasize that. He emphasized love and application. And that's the third thing that we see in this chapter is they got together and they found written in the book of the law, there were some things that we need to be doing and they did them. So let's look at those three things. Making God's word a priority, one through five. And when the seventh month came, the children were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in front of the water gate and they ask for the law to be brought. Now, what is the significance of the seventh month and the first day of that month? This was the most holy month in all of Jewish culture. On the seventh month, there were three feasts that were to be celebrated. The first one is the Feast of Trumpets. They blew the trumpets and everybody came all over the nation and they gathered together and they went through the reading of the Torah. And it was a time of celebration. It was a time of joy. It was a time of sending gifts to those who didn't have anything, enjoying the blessings of God and thanking God and reminding themselves of all that their God had done. So on this seventh month, they assembled together. They were making this a priority. They were gathered together. They were gathered together as one man. And they requested themselves that the book of the law might be read. And they knew that God had commanded this. It wasn't their suggestion. There was a renewal of what was sacred. These seven, I referred to one of the feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, but the second feast was the Day of Atonement, and it was on the 10th day of this month. All these feasts are found in Leviticus chapter 23, by the way. And then the next feast that was to be observed was the Feast of Tabernacles. So three of the most religious holidays were found on this seventh month. And so the people are saying, the wall is done. Let's emphasize now the reading and the teaching and the the following through of God's commandment. And the setting aside of their time, the priority of God's word. Can you imagine what it was like standing there for six hours to listen to the word of God? That must have been a blessing, huh? They listened intently and they made God's word the focal point. They built a pulpit just for this very purpose. And then there was a reverence and an honoring of God's word. When Ezra stood above everybody and he opened up that book, the people instantly stood. Now, there is no reference anywhere in the Old Testament to any people ever standing when the Torah was read. This is the first account of it. And I want you to think about the significance of this. This is a people that's been defeated, discouraged, The Babylonians have sacked the city. The temple has been destroyed. The walls are falling down. They've disobeyed the Torah time and time and time again. And God's patience has ran out. And now God's goodness, 
God's mercy, God's promises have all been fulfilled. And when they open up the book, the people instantly, spontaneously rise to their feet in honor of God's word. That should be our hearts this morning. When the book is open, we need to understand that we need to lay aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, all evil speaking, and as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word of God that we might grow thereby. So that's our first point. We need to make this a priority. We need to make it a precedent in our lives that God's word is honored and we love it. 6 through 12, the need for understanding. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Now this is a reference to responsive reading that was began under David. David wrote psalms. They were read responsively, and the people would respond with Amen and Amen. And a good example of that is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And I want us just to jump over. It's not too far to go. First Chronicles, just go a couple books back. First Chronicles chapter 16. We're only going to look at a couple verses to, for the purpose of, of seeing that this is most likely what was going on when Ezra stood up. And, and David, we're told in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7, on that day, David first delivered this psalm unto the hand of Asaph, and his brethren to thank the Lord. That's the purpose. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Now, I want us to, to look at the end of this, this psalm. So turn to verse 36. And he blessed the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And so what Nehemiah is doing, he is blessing this great and awesome God. He's going through this worship. He's going through this psalm. And he's reminding them of God's deeds, God's wonders. He's reminding them of God's unfailing covenant with Abraham and Isaac. He's exhorting the nations around Israel to join this one true God. Now I want us to, to look at the outward response to this worship and praise because having a right understanding of God gives us a right attitude about worship. There were two physical gestures that they give here, but those physical gestures are merely an outward expression of an inward change of heart. When the red reading of the law happened, what did the people do? They lifted their hands. And they bowed their heads in worship. When God's word was explained, when God's word was read, there was this outward response. The lifting up of their hands is a significant gesture saying, God, you are on high. God, you are alone worthy of all praise and all honor. And the bowing of their faces to the ground was another symbolic gesture admitting their own humility, their own need for God. So a right understanding produces right worship. A right understanding also comes from qualified leadership. You've got to have godly people in this, in, in this role to, to teach the God's word so that people can understand. So what did, who did they call? They called Ezra. Look at verse 2. So Ezra the priest was brought. Verse 1, now all the people gathered together as one man, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. I want us just to go back to the book of Ezra, and we're just going to look at a couple references of what kind of man Ezra was. And this is the kind of men and women that we need to be. Ezra chapter 3. I'm sorry. I've given you the wrong reference. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. This is the man that they're calling to read the Torah. 
This Ezra, Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, came up from Babylon. I want you to see this. And he was a skilled. The old King James said he was a ready scribe. Now, skilled probably gives us a better sense, but the Hebrews didn't use that word. They used the word ready. It's the Hebrew word macher, which means to do something ready, instantly, quickly, to always be on your guard. It's the same thing that Paul told Timothy. Timothy, preach the word of God. Be ready. Old King James, be instant. In season, out of season, rebuke, exhort, and teach with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come where they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but where they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, wanting to hear what they want the preacher to say. And Ezra was not that man. He was quick. He was on his guard. He was ready. He was skilled. He studied. He was diligent. So that's why they called Ezra. This is the guy we want preaching to us. Now let's look at verse 10. Now, the verse before it gives us the context. God's good hand was on Ezra. And then the word for tells us why God's good hand was on this man. Why was God's good hand on Ezra? That's a good question. Let's find the answer. Verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And not just to seek it, right? What else did he want to do? He wanted to do it. And he wanted to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So the right understanding comes from qualified, diligent leaders who prepare their heart to make their heart fixed, firm, and established, unmovable on the working work of God. Understanding causes them to understand. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? (laughs) Good understanding helps them discern the original intent. This Ezra was going to help them understand the original intent of the Word of God. So let's go back over to chapter 8, Nehemiah, and we'll see this. And you're going to ask yourself maybe this morning, What is wrong with these folks? Why do they need this Bible teacher? The same reason we need pastors, teachers in our churches today. Verse 8, verse 7, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go through the names. So let's go down. I'll read Joshua. That's an easy one. Also Joshua, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. What did these men do, these Levites? They helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. That was their job, to help them understand, to cause them to understand and discern the original tent. Now, that word to cause is only used, to cause to understand is only used four times in the entire Old Testament. And I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, and that's not important. But I want to give you some historical context here. When did God give the law to Moses? Can anybody throw out a date? Even in the ballpark. Something we probably wouldn't discuss or study much, would we? But we know that the Exodus happened in 1400 B.C. And we know that from the the study of, of, of the law. But more importantly, we know it from when Solomon built the temple because he gives us a date saying 400 years after they left Egypt. And the temple began its construction right around 990, 960 B.C. And so if we backtrack those 450 years, I believe it is, we come out to that date. So what date is the book of Nehemiah being written? See, we've got to understand the historical context. We've got to understand these things. And this is what these scribes were doing. A thousand years had lapsed. I know some of you find it hard to read a King James Bible, don't you? That's only 400 years. Well, it's 500, I guess, isn't it? My math's not too good. What is that? 400 
1611, so 2011, 400 years, and we find suffer the children to come unto me. What does that mean? Or God at sundry times in diverse manners, and what does that mean? This is what's happening to these Jewish people. There's Hebrew phrases that they have a, don't have a clue what it means. There are cultural things. Boiling a kid in its mother's milk? Huh? What's that mean? I don't have an idea. I don't either, really. But those things are written in the law. And these scribes studied the historical context, and so they helped people understand it distinctly. A thousand years. Language had changed. None of these people had... Hebrew as their first language anymore. They all spoke Aramaic. They needed someone to say, let's go back to the original Hebrew. Let's go back to the original Greek. Let's look at the context of what this was given. This is the need for expository preaching and teaching. And it is the pattern that developed for the synagogue. That word that's giving the sense, it's used in a phrase in Hebrew called the Targums. I don't know if you ever heard of that before. I'm, I'm not real familiar with what a targum is, but targums were written right around the time of Christ. They were a paraphrase of the Old Testament, but basically what they were is they were a commentary. And every one of us who wants to really dig into the Bible, I, I've got them on my shelf all over behind my desk, these biblical commentaries. Now, commentaries are not inspired the Targums were not inspired, but these were learned men who took the law, they looked at the culture, they looked at Hebrew verbs and the context, and they translated them, and then they gave the commentary on what it meant. And the origination of the Targums came from Nehemiah, and it was all oral, and then they were written down. But the significance of those things is those Targums, they were read Every single Sabbath day to all the dispersed Jews, and they did expository biblical preaching and teaching in every synagogue throughout the entire Rome Empire. God was taking that word and he was drawing all people to himself and explaining it so that the whole world could understand the Messiah was coming. This was the pattern of Jesus. He went into the synagogue, Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and they read the scripture and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and he expounded to them that. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And they all marveled at his teaching and his preaching. In Acts chapter 13, Paul went in and when the scriptures were read, they said to Paul, do you have any exhortation? And so he took that scripture and he expounded on it. This was the pattern for Paul when he wrote his epistles. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, when you get this letter, you make sure that you exposit it in every single church and you read it from beginning to end. How do you read a letter? You don't open up a letter and say, you know what, I'm going to... Stick my finger in here and read this verse. No. And that's the way biblical preaching and teaching, and it was a precedent for the church. Why do we come together? Is this some kind of man-made tradition that we sit here and somebody preaches and you listen to God's word? No, this is a biblical precedent, and it starts from the book of Nehemiah. And it's passed on through history. And Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, be instant in season, rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine and teaching. He said, the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. And then he wrote to Timothy, he says, I've written these things so you will know how to conduct yourselves in the church of God, which is the living, which is the pillar and the foundation for the truth. And then he went on to say, he says, till I come, Timothy, I've left you in Ephesus, Timothy, and I want you to do everything as a pastor should do. And he says, until I come, give close attention to reading. Pros echo is the Greek word give attention to. Pros means to go toward. Echo means to hold or to have. And so it's translated to give attention. It means to be diligent. It means hold on to it. It means to grab hold of it and do it religiously. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So this is where it all originates, right here. A right understanding brings true conviction. When you understand the Word of God and you read the Word of God, it brings conviction to your heart and to your soul. 
Notice the way they responded when they were under conviction. They began to weep and they began to mourn. After they gave them the sense, after they helped them to understand, the people were taught the word of God. Verse 9, This day is holy to your God. Do not mourn. Do not weep. For all the people, what did they do? They wept when they heard the words of the law. That is why God's word is so important. It brings conviction. The Holy Spirit takes his word, exposes our sin, and shows us that we need to change. And Jesus said this. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Happy, rejoice, because you've understood the word of God and you're under conviction. And now you can do something about your problem. Most of our problems are because we don't recognize that we've got a problem. But when we recognize it and God's word exposes it, then we can deal with it. And he says, I want you to rejoice is what Nehemiah said, because now you're under conviction, but you should be greatly rejoicing because you understood the word. So the third thing is there needs to be application, 13 through 18. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers and all the people with all the priests and Levites gathered together to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law And what did they discover as they were reading the Word of God and understanding it? And the sense was making, coming across their their cognitive brain. Verse 14, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses, saying the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months. They've been ignoring that for 600 years. Now, there were several feasts of tabernacles, and we can go through the Old Testament and find several of them. But what Nehemiah is emphasizing, it had not been consistent. And it not, had not been done with great joy. It had not been done with real sincerity. All the way back to the time of Joshua. Now, why was the Feast of Booth so important? Because it was teaching the people about salvation. You are in bondage. God has sent you a deliverer. There is only one way to escape, and that is to have the blood on the doorposts and on the lentil. And they were to keep that, they were to observe it, and they were to remind themselves of all of God's gracious provisions when they had walked out of Egypt and walked toward the promised land. And they understood that. There was a specific time, there was a specific manner that they were supposed to do this. They were to do it on the 15th day of the seventh month. They were to get certain branches, and it was all according, look at verse 18, according to the prescribed manner. Now, the Hebrew word for manner can be translated a lot of different ways. It's got a really wide range of meaning. If you look at an ESV, it might say according to the rule. But the, the, the Hebrew word is the word Mishpat, which literally means judgment or a decree, an oracle. So they were to do it according to the legal and binding custom that God had given. So when we take the word of God, we need to take it objectively How did God prescribe it and how are we to apply it? Notice the prompt and the appropriate response. Then they went. Let's look at verse 15. We're supposed to dwell in booths during the seventh month and that they should announce and proclaim all in Jerusalem saying... And verse 16 says, and they went out and did it. So the proper response, they went out and they did it. The right manner. They made for themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, in the courtyards, in the open square. They got the right branches, the right trees. They built them in the right places. They did it for the prescribed reason. The whole assembly 
And those who had returned from captivity made booths under the booths, for since the days of Joshua until then, they hadn't done it. They did it for the right reason. They read the book of the law, and they kept the feast seven days. The reason was to remind themselves of all of God's goodness. Now, let's get to a little application for us this morning. First of all, I just want to share with you from my heart that when you hear the gospel and when you understand it, the gospel demands a response. I may have lost you. I may have been way over verbiage this morning. Forgive me for that. If you've been checked out because I've been up here just too talkative, I want you to check back in, okay? Because this is the most important part of this service. This is the most important message for you today. If you are without Christ, if you are not certain that when you stand before Almighty God, that he's going to declare you righteous because you have the righteousness of Jesus, the gospel understanding it, having it explained to you. It demands an application. The people went and they did. And here's the simple gospel. Jesus did not die for good people. He died for sinners. He died for the lost. About a month and a half ago, I can't remember how long ago it was, but... Elizabeth stood in front of our congregation, our church, and she gave her testimony. Elizabeth was a religious girl. She did everything she was supposed to do. She did it the right way. And she thought of herself as a righteous young lady. And she opened up the word of God. She read it in its biblical context. And she understood it. And she repented. When she read this verse in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It was like an arrow piercing and convicting her heart because she had always thought of herself as a righteous person. She said, wait a minute, does that mean Jesus did not come for me? Or does it mean that I need to change my mind about who I am? Yes, that's what repent, metanoia, change your mind about who you think you are. A rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and he said, Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? There are none good except for God. Jesus was not denying that he wasn't good. Jesus was good. Jesus was affirming that he was God. You want to have eternal life? You need to recognize that I am God Almighty and I have no other gods before me. If Jesus isn't your Lord, then he is not God at all. So the Bible demands a response. All have sinned. And that's what Jesus pointed out to that good rich ruler. He says, keep the commandments. He says, which one? I'll just give you one. He says, don't bear false witness. Every one of us are liars. And the book of Revelation says that the liars will have their place in the lake of fire. That should bring some fear to us this morning. Well, what is our response to that this morning? Jesus Christ himself became sin for you. That's the good news. That's what euangelion means. It's good news. You don't have to pay the death that you owe God because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and he will impute all of his righteousness into your life this morning. That is the response that we need to have to God's word. The gift of God is for those who call upon him. What about us this morning that are believers? Is God's word a priority in your life? Do you promote it above everything else? You remember what they did? They built a platform just for the reading of the word of God. Do you have a platform this morning? And I'm not going to try to take this too much and, and, and 
you know, play word games with it. God forbid that I should do that. But I do want to get this across to you that you need to have a platform. You need to have a place. You need to have a priority where God's word stands out to you and that you have an awe and a reverence and a love for God's word. Otherwise, you won't read it. Don't give yourselves any excuses this morning. Name sin for what it is. I love my own time. I love myself above the word of God. I am challenging you, church, this morning. Get into the word of God. There is no other way to grow. There is no other way to become like Christ other than having the words of Christ in you. Lastly, as a believer... When Nehemiah read the law, they didn't look around and say, boy, I wish so-and-so would hear this. They said, I need to hear this. And they went out and they did. So when you study the Word of God, it is not a means in itself, not an end in itself, sorry. It is a means to an end of a transformed life. If my words abide in you, Jesus said, and you abide in me, you will bring forth much fruit. And this is God's desire for North Valley Bible Church. So this morning, you've got two choices. If you're not a believer, this morning, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And you say, Pastor, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he said, I am pleading with you. Be ye reconciled to God. God has reconciled the world to himself. And now God has given me, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. In the book of Acts chapter 28, he begged with them from morning until evening to get right with God. And believers, I want you to be so hungry for God's word that when somebody bumps into you, a verse comes out. In your heart, it's written deep within you. That's the promise of the new covenant that God wants for every one of his children. So this morning, I'm giving you an invitation. Last Sunday, a woman heard the word of God, and I know I'm going long this morning. Please forgive me. It's not six hours like Nehemiah, okay? But last Sunday, a woman came up to me and she grabbed my hand and she says, Pastor, I told you three months ago that I didn't need to be baptized because what I felt I had done was good enough. And then I had to reckon it with what God's word said. And she says, I need to be baptized and I want to follow Jesus. And she said, you know what did it? It wasn't my preaching. It was the Bible study that the women go to. And it was the book of Ruth. And when Ruth said, your people are my people. Your God is my God. She said, I want to have that kind of break in my life where I identify with God's people. And baptism is the New Testament way of doing that. You see, we've got to respond to God's word. It's a living powerful book it's sharper than any double-edged sword even to the dividing of soul and spirit as a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart and none of us are naked before the one that we're going to have to give an account to so let's stop and pray and ask god to do business in your heart today father this morning We don't want to be like the book of James warns us us, to be hearers of the word only, deceiving ourselves, but be doers of the work, for that man is blessed in what he does. Bless your word to us this morning, God. May we take it and apply it and live it in Jesus' name.